This is AWLS, Podcasts on Wilderness Medicine, from the University of Utah School of Medicine. Hi, this is Richard Ingerbretson from the University of Utah School of Medicine. And we want to talk just about uh, some important immunizations that you're going to need to know about uh, for travel. Uh, uh, wilderness medicine and travel medicine have a big area of crossover where uh, the two uh, meet. In some cases, uh, someone is strictly in the wilderness. In other cases, they're strictly traveling abroad. But in some cases, they're doing both wilderness and travel, and that is where immunizations become important. So we just want to mention the more important immunizations that you're going to need and some things you'll need to know uh, before you go. What is curious is a lot of the immunizations that people get are for diseases that they're not particularly uh, uh, familiar with. They'll, uh, For example, yellow fever is a disease which uh, uh, is not found in modernized countries, although it was. Uh, in the United States, the last big outbreak of uh, yellow fever happened in the 1960s in Louisiana in the New Orleans area. Uh, yellow fever was thought to uh, originally travel through the air. In fact, it's an interesting comment. Through time, most people believe that communicable diseases do transfer and just sort of move through the air, but that's really not the case. It took the Yellow Fever Commission uh, in, in New Orleans, uh, interestingly enough, to show that the disease is spread by uh, mosquitoes. Uh, it is an acute viral infection, in fact, and it is spread by the aedes, or sometimes called the tiger uh, mosquito. Most cases of yellow fever are mild and self-limiting, uh, but it can be a, a very life-threatening disease, and it does cause death. Uh, it is a, a hemorrhagic fever and causes hepatitis and causes people to turn uh, uh, jaundice, which gives the name uh, yellow fever. It's estimated that about, uh, surprisingly, 200,000 cases of yellow fever uh, occur worldwide. So vaccination uh, appears to be, uh, or immunity appears to be uh, lifelong uh, if they uh, seroconvert. Um, this vaccine can be used to control outbreaks of the disease, and it is uh, given either by injection into a muscle or it can be given uh, just under the skin. Since the yellow fever vaccine is a live virus, it should not be given to those with weak immune function or those that are doing uh, immunosuppressive therapies, people who have had transplants uh, and uh, are taking medicines. The vaccine is generally considered to be safe for people, uh, including those with HIV infection, if they don't have symptoms. If they have a malignant uh, cancer or have a weakened immune system, it should, it should not be given to them. And the yellow fever vaccine should not be given to pregnant women uh, because it poses a theoretical risk to the fetus. Um, live and attenuated viruses vaccines generally are indicated uh, during pregnancy. Let's just talk quickly about the typhoid uh, fever vaccine. Typhoid causes a high fever, weakness, stomach pains, headache, and a lot of times people get that um, uh, light reddish rash all over them. If not treated, it will kill up to 30% of the people who contract it, but fortunately it is uh, treatable. About half of all people who um, contract typhoid become carriers and can spread the disease without knowing that they have it. It's a very bad systemic uh, infection. It's caused by a gram-negative uh, bacillus called Salmonella typhi. It's one of the many uh, Salmonella diseases, and most of them are not as bad as 
typhoid fever is. Um, at, uh, most salmonella types will just do a, a, a local infection in the GI tract. However, this is an invasive organism, uh, and it gets a really bad systemic infection on top of it. You can get intestinal hemorrhage, uh, perforation, which can be life-threatening, as well as organ failure due to sepsis. It's usually spread by the fecal-oral route, and so if, when traveling, you need to uh, uh, warn people that it's usually in areas where there's poor sanitation and, and ineffective personal hygiene. To give you an idea about the numbers, about 21 million people per year around the world get this, and it will kill about 200,000 people. Um, uh, there are two vaccinations available for typhoid fever. Uh, the first is the inactivated vaccine is given by a shot at least uh, two weeks prior to travel. And for people who get the shot, a booster dose is needed every two years uh, if you're at risk. The other vaccine type is an attenuated vaccine, which is taken orally uh, uh, every other day for about a week. Uh, with the last dose, it's supposed to be given a week before they travel. For patients who get the oral vaccine, a booster dose is needed every five years uh, uh, for people who remain at risk. Neither of these vaccines provide lifelong immunity, and it's not really sure how long they last. So um, it needs to be uh, look at. You need to look at current data on that. The most common reaction uh, to the inactivated typhoid vaccine is kind of redness and swelling at the site. Sometimes they get a, a mild fever and a, and a headache. The risk of the typhoid vaccine causing serious harm or death is extremely small. Uh, not to worry about it. Uh, typhoid vaccines are not 100% effective and uh, therefore are not a substitute for being careful about being what is, uh, 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 you know, what a person eats or drinks when they travel. The oral vaccine uh, can be given to children, but they have to be older than six. The inactivated vaccine can be given uh, to children older than age two, so that becomes a determinant. I know you're not going to, uh, you know, we don't remember these things. You always have to look them up. Uh, but a person should wait at least three days after completing any antibiotic therapy before given the oral uh, vaccine. And and um, when you take the oral vaccine, and then when you go to the bathroom, you're actually going to be shedding virus. So you have to be very. Uh, it's a, 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 a you have to be very careful with that. So um, if you uh, are going to an area where people at risk for the typhoid vaccine, it's a good vaccine to give. But remember, not to rely on it. It's better than nothing, though. Japanese encephalitis vaccine is a is a an interesting vaccine, and it's a, a little bit of a debate about whether you give it or not. Uh, Japanese encephalitis is a flevovirus, and it's very similar uh, to dengue, yellow fever, and West Nile viruses, and it's spread by the Culex mosquito. So it can it can be wherever those are. Uh, these mosquitoes often feed on pigs and birds. Uh, which are common to farms and rice fields in rainy s season, it cannot be transmitted uh, uh, by other humans. Japanese encephalitis is usually a mild illness. In many cases, there are no symptoms. Vaccines are available for adults and children. However, in a small number of cases, it's usually about 1 in 250 infected people, the illness can become more serious, and the case fatality rate can be as high as 30%. Once you start to show symptoms, uh, people can get neurologic or psychiatric illnesses, uh, up to half of the people that get it. Um, once in uh, India, I was working up in Chandigarh, and uh, we uh, were uh, treating a man with Japanese encephalitis, 
and he died. He was in his 50s, and he died rather quickly from time to coming into being treated to the time that he died. So uh, it's nothing, you can't just ignore this uh, disease, even though most cases are mild. Uh, it's not recommended for short-term travelers. There's a number of reasons for this. One is expense, and the other is, is the need. Uh, they've come up with the number of one month. Uh, if you're going to be in an area where you know that there, you're going to be exposed to it for over a month, then the, the vaccine is going to be uh, recommended. Uh, so you have to go to the specific area where they're going and then see how long the person or you are going to be in that area. So the Japanese encephalitis vaccine is more than 90% effective. It's not 100% effective. So again, it isn't a substitute for avoiding being bitten by a Culex mosquito. Also, how long the protection will last is not clear. But its effectiveness does not appear to decrease over time. For those with HIV and AIDS or those who are pregnant, an inactivated vaccine should be used. The vaccines are relatively safe generally. Uh, you get some localized reaction at the pain at the injection site. There are at least 15 different vaccines available. Some are based on recombinant DNA techniques and others are based on a weakened virus. And others are an inactivated virus. It costs between $100 and $200 uh, for a course of uh, immunizations at this point in time. Uh, and that number changes and it's been higher in the past. So look at the current data when you're and deciding whether to give somebody the Japanese encephalitis vaccine. The next vaccine that we just want to mention real quickly is uh, the hepatitis A vaccine. Uh, this is spread by eating or drinking food that is contaminated with infected feces, which is not a pleasant thought. Uh, it is not spread by blood-to-blood -blood transmission. Usually the first symptoms of hepatitis A show up any time between two and six weeks after exposure to the virus. Around the world, there are usually about one to one and a half million symptomatic cases each year. It's worth knowing uh, where the you or the people are going to go before whether deciding to get this. Hepatitis A is often given routinely in many uh, uh, cases now. It usually occurs um, uh, in... Uh, moderately developed countries where children are not exposed when young or when vaccination is not widespread. The World Health Organization estimates that in, I think that it was in 2016, about 7,000 people died of hepatitis uh, worldwide. One of the largest outbreaks was in 1998, some years ago in Shanghai, China. And the outbreak was related to food and water that affected more than 300,000 uh, individuals. Hepatitis A can be prevented by vaccination, but good uh, hygiene and sanitation have to become first. The two types of vaccines are one uh, that contain an inactivated hepatitis A virus, and uh, the other is uh, uh, containing a live virus, but it is attenuated. Both provide active immunity against future infections. Uh, the vaccine protects against hepatitis A virus in about more than 95% of cases for longer than 25 years. This, the vaccine came out in 1996 for children in high-risk areas, and in 1999 it was spread to areas where um, uh, the, there was just uh, elevated uh, in infections. Uh, so the vaccine is given by injection. The initial dose provides protection starting about two weeks, maybe four weeks after vaccination. So it needs to be given a, a, a month prior at least uh, to travel. 
The, sector, the second booster dose is given 6 to 12 months uh, later, and that provides a protection for 25 years. After a single infection of a hepatitis A, a person is immune for the rest of their lives. Hepatitis A is, is an acute infection of the liver, uh, and uh, many cases have few or no symptoms, especially in the young. The time between infection symptoms in those who, who develop them is two to six weeks. Um, all travelers, for any purpose, frequency, or dur- duration of countries that are mildly endemic with hepatitis A should be vaccinated for it. You should take into account the complexity of interpreting hepatitis A risk mass and the potential risk of foodborne hepatitis A in countries well, where, there's not, uh, where it's not endemic. Many experts advise that uh, people who are traveling should consider hepatitis A vaccination regardless of their destination, and, and that's probably the best advice other than making sure your food and water is safe. So a lot of people will look at the maps to determine whether to give the, the hepatitis uh, A vaccine or not. But um, the uh, Advisory Committee on uh, Immunization Practices recommends hepatitis A vaccination for travelers. Published maps may not be the best guide for determining uh, whether to get that or not. So um, countries where the prevalence of hepatitis A infection is decreasing have growing numbers of susceptible people and risk for large outbreaks of hepatitis A. So it might be the reverse effect. In recent years, there's been a lot of uh, large outbreaks of hepatitis A where uh, reported in developed countries among people who had been exposed to imported food contaminated with hepatitis A. So for healthy people aged 1 to 40 years, a dose of uh, uh, monovalent hepatitis A vaccine is recommended. For people older than 40, Ig is preferred, but the vaccine can be used if Ig is unavailable. Ig is recommended for children less than 1 years old, for people who are immunocompromised. It's always good to discuss uh, children in this. Um, Babies and toddlers should be vaccinated whenever possible against common travel-related diseases before they uh, travel abroad. But a number of factors influence the age at which a vaccine is given to a baby or a toddler. These include age-specific risks of the disease and its complications, the ability of children to develop an adequate immune response, and potential interference with the immune response by passively transferred maternal antibodies. Many vaccines, such as typhoid, have strict requirements on age, while others do not, such as the hepatitis A vaccine. Babies and children will be exposed to the same travel-related diseases as adults. In addition, babies and toddlers need to be up to date on regular vaccines, although some diseases such as polio, diphtheria, pertussis, are now particularly non-existent in developed countries. So they still are uh, in existence in many developing countries. Immunizations are particularly important if a child is likely to have close contact uh, with uh, the local children. The last vaccine that we want to mention here is uh, one of the more important ones, and that is rabies. For a human to contract rabies, two things have to happen. First, a person has to have contact with a rabid animal not necessarily a bite or a scratch, it's really not clear. And second, the contact must allow for the transmission of infected material, which will involve exposure to the saliva of the infected animal. That is usually done through a bite or a scratch. Contaminated tissue in rabid animals uh, uh, includes saliva. Another potential infectious tissue is the brain or the nerve tissue. 
and the virus is transmitted only when the virus gets into the bite wounds, open cuts, skin, or mucous membranes. For example, it's thought that could be your eye or your mouth. The virus then spreads from the site of exposure to your brain and eventually spreads throughout uh, the body's major organs. Uh, bites are the most common uh, source of transmission. Scratches by infected animals are far less likely to cause infection, but are still considered a potential risk. Rabies has rarely been transmitted by other means. However, documented examples include inhaling a large amount of bat secretions in the air of a cave. So when uh, determining whether to give the, the rabies vaccine, there's a lot of uh, questions and, and thoughts that have to be uh, put out. Um, the most important questions to consider if you're going to give a patient uh, the post-exposure prophylaxis uh, has to be two things, the behavior of the animal and the animal itself. Some, some animals are more likely to carry rabies and other animals or are more likely to transmit the disease. In developed countries, United States, Canada, and Europe, raccoons are the most common wild animal carriers of rabies, uh, where in those countries, bats are the most common animals responsible for the transmission of rabies. Uh, rabbit bats have been reported in all, of, uh, in all countries. Uh, skunk, fox, coyote can be infected with rabies. The biggest carrier and, tra and transmitter of rabies in the world, however, is the dog. Uh, bats have tiny teeth, so uh, tiny scratches caused by a bat may result in rabies. However, bites or scratches are often not confined in cases of human rabies uh, traced to bats. Um, reptiles, fish, and birds are not known to carry rabies or transmit them. Small rodents like squirrels, hamsters, guinea pigs, gerbils, chipmunks, rats, uh, mice, rabbits, uh, and hares are uh, uh, almost never found to be infected with rabies, as well as small rodents have not known to transmit rabies uh, to humans. In most countries, patients receive one dose of the HRIG, that's the immunoglobulin, and four doses of the rabies vaccines over a 14-day period. Uh, if anatomically feasible, full doses of HRIG is infiltrated around and into the wounds. Any remaining volume is injected intramuscularly at the, at the site distant from the vaccine administration. HRIG is not administered in the same syringe at the same anatomic site as the uh, uh, first vaccine dose. So the, the first uh, dose of the rabies vaccine should be given as soon as possible after exposure, that is day zero, with additional doses, uh, days three, seven, and 14. Now, um, if someone is exposed to an animal and you think that they've had uh, uh, been exposed to rabies, you can go to the cdc.gov site, and there, there is a chart there that can be followed to determine whether or not uh, they should get it. But uh, it's highly expensive. Uh, uh, it's upwards of twenty to $30,000 if you pay cash for these things. Um, and so uh, you have to be careful, but it's better to be prudent than not because uh, rabies is a very uh, virtually 100% deadly disease, and the vaccine is virtually 100% successful in stemming the, 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 the disease. So you can go to a number of sources, but the cdc.gov is a very good source worldwide to help you to determine whether you should get that vaccine or not. Now the question then, who gets it? If you haven't had exposure, that would be veterinarians, technicians who work with animals, animal control officers, 
you know, wildlife um, rehabilitators, zoo employees who have regular contact with, with potentially rabid animals and the species uh, that uh, uh, can transmit it to them. International travelers to areas with endemic dog rabies or who are uh, likely to come in contact with dogs or wild animals and where access to medical care and appropriate biologics may be limited should be vaccinated too. Uh, even if they're close to medical care, pre-exposure vaccine to rabies are also very, very effective and shouldn't hesitate to give them. So again, it's the behavior of the animal as well as the animal itself that should guide, uh, guide your uh, care and uh, always guide on the, the safe side. Um, I had a patient who was uh, overlooking a canyon and uh, bats were flying around at dusk and a bat uh, flew up between his legs as a 22-year-old 20, young, healthy man. And he came to my clinic and asked if he uh, should be vaccinated. And I said, well, did it bite you or get on you? He said, well, I have a little cut on my little finger. We didn't know it was caused by the bat or not. Well, of course, we gave him the, the vaccine. Uh, his insurance covered most of it, but still many thousands of dollars. And it took place, he got shots in his, uh, in his finger, which were very painful. And then he got the remaining shots elsewhere. But he didn't develop rabies. And it was, it was a sheer consolation, um, you know, uh, the, the pain in his finger that he's alive. Uh, we had a, a, a medical student photographing uh, the Colorado River in Utah in the United States. At bats, uh, she was a uh, 26-year-old medical student, and she was taking pictures. A bat in the middle of the day swooped past her, and so she got in the car and drove away. Well, the bat followed her. She went about five miles, but it followed her the whole way. She gets out of the car, and it swoops past her to where she could feel the bat uh, the air on her skin. She got in the car and drove home and came to us, and we contacted the CDC, and they said to give her the, the, the vaccine. The reason is, you know, it was a peculiar behavior. Uh, bats don't swoop past you in the middle of the day, and uh, the fact that um, it was a bat, which is the greatest transmitter of rabies, we gave her the vaccine. Again, she did uh, very, very well, didn't get the disease. So there's a lot of stories, but those are two that could kind of help guide you. The only other one I'll mention is a, a young lady woke up in her bedroom in a very nice condominium in a downtown uh, uh, area, and there was a bat uh, in her room, and they don't know how it got there, but it had been there all night. And we gave her the vaccine because we didn't know whether it had flown over at night secretions could be in her mouth or eyes. So we end up giving her the vaccine, uh, being prudent. Well, anyway, these are the main vaccines we'd like you to know about. Anytime you have to decide, you can look these up and determine which ones uh, uh, to give. This ends the podcast on uh, vaccines then. And again, we thank you for listening.